This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Thank you for tuning in to the Warning Radio program with Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Today, Dr. Hansen is sharing a message that was given by one of his associate pastors at the time, Pastor Ty Gullstrom. This was recorded August 13, 2005. Dr. Hansen requested that Pastor Ty would give the message this particular week. The title of Pastor Ty's message is The Martha Mentality. Now, let us begin. Well, praise the Lord. Can you hear me out there? Yeah. Oh, Pastor's got me excited now. I'm not sure I'm going to get to the sermon now. I'm so excited. I remember 1997. I was very young in the Lord, just a couple years of committing my life to Jesus Christ, and we were in Uganda. And it was really our, the start of our one-month mission trip. It was only I think the, about a week into it, and we were at this large church in Kampala, Uganda. I think it was an old theater that had been taken over by the church, Kampala Pentecostal Church. And we had a great service. And I remember Pastor Hansen asked the team to come up to the front as he was going to transition to ministry like he's been talking about, hands-on ministry. And I didn't know nothing about hands-on ministry. <laughs> didn't know nothing about that. So I didn't know what to expect. I just came forward, didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember he said to spread out there across. I went to this side of the sanctuary, and I was just right, right here. pastor was still kind of transitioning, and, and it was a church of maybe of a couple thousand. It was just packed. And I remember standing there and walking there, and I was just kind of walking back and forth, and, and, and Reverend Hansen was just speaking to them and trying to build their faith because it was a time now to see the hand of God move in their life. It was a time for signs and wonders. It was a time for healing. It was time for deliverance. It was time for the glory of God. Faith was arising, and people were getting excited. And I remember about 30 or 40 people right here at the same time, same time, whoosh. And I looked around. I was like, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> Third, I mean, when the 30, 40 people just fall at the same time. You can't orchestrate that one. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I, I don't know if pastor saw my face, but I was just dumbfounded. I didn't know what to do. And uh, that was an exciting meeting. We had an exciting time that night and an exciting time the rest of that revival meetings. But isn't it nice when you don't have to orchestrate nothing, you can just let God be God and touch people. Hallelujah. You don't have to coax them down. You don't have to shake them down. Just let the glory of God just touch them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. When you're a pastor, you're excited for that because God can do more in one second than a thousand hours of counseling can do. Yeah. Praise the Lord. That's why we want the glory of God to fall in this place because we only have so much time and we want the glory of God to set people free. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is good. Amen. Yeah. I appreciate the pastor's exhortation today about 
eating what is presented to you. Amen? And one thing that I used to be in the restaurant business for about two years, I was a little busboy at age 18, and I got really good at serving people and presenting their food to them and everything else. And uh, one thing that's for sure, you can prepare the food, you can get the best chef, you can prepare it just perfect, you can deliver it right on their table, but you cannot force that person to eat that food, can you? You can do everything and present it right to them. They have to choose to eat the Word. Hallelujah. The Bible says that the Word of God is able to save our soul. And one thing that I want to convince you of today that whatever message is spoken today, it in itself will not help you. It will not set you free. Jesus Christ can only set you free. But this Word is the food presented. And you must take the food and you must react to the food. You must exchange the food. You must respond to the food. You must respond to the Word of God. That is your responsibility. Amen? That is not my responsibility. That is not Apostle Hansen's responsibility. You must take what is given today and you must exchange with it. You must talk with God through it. If He convicts you through the Word, say hallelujah! Don't find yourself back in the bathroom or something. Amen? You get a little uncomfortable. The Word's getting a little hot. Next thing you know, it's so hot, you're somewhere else. That's good. That means you're alive. That means there's still a place for conviction, which means there's still a place for repentance, which means there's still a place for a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you. I prepared to deliver the food today. I'll do the best I can with the Lord's help. Would you take the food and eat the food? Amen? Hallelujah. Is God good? Believe it or not, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. If that sounds familiar, it is. That's where we were last week. Luke chapter 10. Mike and Rachel, it is wonderful to see your guys' face. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We've been missing you and we're glad you're here today. Praise the Lord for that. I hope that you are one of those people that put your new address on the response card. If not, please see me after the service so we can get a hold of you. Praise the Lord. Brother Doolittle, we're glad to see you and your family. God bless you. Praise God. Hallelujah. This is a good-looking group right here. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 10. Last week, we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. We talked about the lawyer mentality. Remember what the lawyer said? He says, Lord, tell me what I need to do that I can inherit eternal life. And that's not so much unlike what we try to do as well. We think that the doing thing, if we do a certain amount of things, that in itself will give me eternal life. And so this lawyer came up and says, Lord, just cut it quick to me. Give me the three or four things that I can do that I can have the assurance that I'll have eternal life. That's that lawyer's mentality. And then we looked at his response and Jesus' response about being a neighbor and really the character of God in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember the three assets that the Good Samaritan possessed. Hallelujah. One is he had what? He had time. He had time to minister. He had time to meet the need. He had the time to what? Help the wounds, heal the wounds, pour in the oil and the wine to put him on his donkey and take him to the inn. He had time to minister. You can't help nobody if you ain't got no time to do it. Amen? Amen? Amen. You got to have time. You got to have that resource. You got to have that availability. 
We also talked about financial resource. He gave that innkeeper, what? Two days wages. A couple hundred bucks. He just put right there and says, take care of the needs. Whatever it takes, you just take care of his need. He had the resource to minister. But he also had one other thing that is vitally important. He had the character of Jesus Christ flowing out of him. Amen? He had the compassion, the love, the mercy, the grace. That was flowing out of him. The Bible by no accident says that when the Levite and the priest saw and went across the side, it says that when the good Samaritan came, he says he had compassion. Hallelujah. The character of God started flowing out of him to minister to that person that was half dead. He had time, he had financial resource, and he had the character, the fruit of the Holy Spirit flowing out of him. Isn't that right? There is no way you can cheat intimacy. There's no way you can have relationship with God, can have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. It is always a function of your time with Christ. Isn't that true? It's not about how many church services or about how many things that you do. If you want to have relationship, you've got to invest into that relationship. And if you are left lacking with enough examples to prove that to you, just look at the relationship between a man and his wife. Oh, yes. Some people are saying, Pastor Ty, just keep moving right along. <laughs> but you can do a lot of things for your wife. I could buy her flowers every day and say, would you deliver these flowers to my wife? And could you do this for the yard and do this and make sure you do this and make sure all these things are okay with her. Bless her. Give gifts to her. But you know what? That is not going to take the place of my time with her. I've been married six years now and I'm starting to learn some things. Amen. I'm starting to learn. I said starting to learn. After six years of my wife saying the same thing, I'm starting to hear. <laughs> and you recognize I mean, how hard-headed you are. You know, the Bible says that we're supposed to put other people's needs before us. Can I just submit to you that it is impossible Apart from the work of the Holy Ghost, it is impossible. The only thing I see is me, 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 me. My needs, my hurt, my pains, my desires. I can't see my wife's desires, my wife's needs. You know, this is why God made the husband and the wife very different. Because he wanted to challenge them to get outside of their selves and to be able to meet the needs of someone who is different. Pastor has said it many times before that in much of Christendom, as much persecution as you might get is in your relationship with your spouse. And may I say that that's a lot of persecution you get with your spouse. It's a lot of taking that big old lump of coal called husband and the wife is trying and trying to do something to turn that thing into a diamond. And one thing I'm convinced about, and it was reiterated in that class we took, I believe, in January... The book was The Complete Family, if I was correct. And he said, the man said in the book, the author said, one thing I'm starting to learn, and he's probably been married 25 years, is that when things go around in our relationship, it's almost always my fault. And that is true. That is called leadership. The man is supposed to be the leader in the home. And when things are dysfunctional, it's almost always bad leadership. 
Pastors, can you say amen? Amen. (laughs) It's almost always bad leadership when things go wrong. Isn't it? If the children are all over the place and there's chaos in the house, can you say it's almost always not the children's fault? It's almost always mom and dad's fault? In the same vein, if we can say amen to that, then can't you say amen that when there's a dysfunction between husband and wife, assuming they're trying to go the same direction, it's the same principle is going to keep going, that it's almost always the man's fault? Right? One thing I'm convinced of is this, that if you, husband, are not faithful with your time with Jesus Christ, you will not be faithful with your time with your wife. And I'll also say that if you're not faithful with your time with your wife, because you're not faithful with God, then you're not going to be faithful to your children. And if you're not faithful to your children, we can continue to go with this principle and say, you cannot be faithful to the community or to the body of Christ. You don't have the resource. Things are not in kingdom order. You don't have the time with Jesus Christ, the fruit of God flowing through you, compassion and love just flowing out of you. Our cry every day needs to be, Lord, here's my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. The vision that I have is that my cup is so filled that I can't even walk without that thing spilling on other people around me. Amen? I don't have to be shaken up because there's only a drop in my cup and hopefully something will come out of that thing. You know, like a dry well. The dusty mouth. But if you don't have the provision, if your cup's not been full, you can't serve. At least I don't want what you're serving. We are trying to minister to a thirsty people. A people that are desperate. A people that have problems. And they need the living water. We got to have that resource of the character of God in us filled up so when we're walking, it's just spilling out all over we go. You know, I know in preaching classes, they tell you not to use your own self as an example. Don't they? At least I heard that once. But if you can't talk about your own testimony, what else do you got to talk about? And I say this is no way to lift me up, but the Lord really actually rebuked me through it. One day, it was like maybe eight months ago, I was in a safe way, and I was just filled with the, I was just excited about God in in a way that typically I'm not quite on that level, and I need to be. And I remember I just walked in the doors before work. It's like 6.30 in the morning in a Safeway. And there's like nobody in Safeway. And I don't know what was over me, but I, just started, I was just singing up and down the aisles looking for something before I went to work. And this lady, there's only one checker there, and she said, oh, I could just hear this person singing all the way around. I could see, I could know where you were at because I, <laughs> I was singing. And I went up to check, and I was just like, you know, interacting with her and, and uh, asked her a little bit about her life. And she goes, I'm very impressed by you. And I walked out of that and I said, and the Lord said to me, why don't you do that more often? <laughs> you know? What I said is that my cup was filled. I was just allowing Jesus just to flow through me. And the joy of Jesus was just flowing out of me and it touched her. Like water spilling out of the cup. It just touched her. And the Lord said, why don't you let that happen more often? It doesn't have to be once a year experience. You can always be filled with my presence. That wherever you go, people will say, I'm impressed with that. I'm impressed with what I see coming out of you. May I come closer and drink. Hallelujah. We got to be bubbling with the presence of God. Amen? Because we have the dying world out there. We have the person in the ditch half dead. If you'll just show them a little bit of Jesus, they're going to say, yes. Amen. When you're half dead. 
You're not too picky. You're just wanting some help. You're wanting someone to give you. And if we can minister the Spirit of God, the power of God, the joy of God, the peace of God, hallelujah. We got to have that resource of time with Jesus Christ. We got to make sure we give Jesus Christ a tithe of our time, quote unquote. Meaning the first fruits of your time. Not, Lord, I'll spend a little time with you if I have a little extra at the end of the day. We got to invest the first fruits of our time, every breath he owns. Why not give him the early morning breath of you? Why not present yourself to him in the morning and say, Lord, here I am. Would you use me today? The Lord is just looking for a few in the church, a remnant in the church that'll say, Lord, here I am. I make myself available for you today. Not my will be done, but your will be done. That is the remnant in the church. It's not going to be the church. Whoever calls himself, it's going to be the remnant that says, here I am. Can I submit to you today that if you fail to give God the first fruits of your time, he is going to take away much more of your time. Amen? You see, when it comes down to the time principle with God and the financial principle of tithing, those are faith principles, aren't they? You can't go on a calculator and figure out on a calculator how 90% is going to go farther than 100%. I challenge you to do it. In our natural mind, in our logical mind, it doesn't make sense. But maybe it makes more sense if you understand that if you're not faithful with your time and you're not faithful with your resource, your income, your tithe, your first fruits, then God is going to frustrate your plans and you're going to be wasting a lot of time and wasting a lot of money where you ought not to be. That's how it goes further because when you're in relationship with Jesus and led by his Holy Spirit, you're in kingdom order with him, then you can see the things you should not be doing. That saves you a lot of time. Martin Luther says that I have so much to do today, Lord. I've got to spend three hours with you. Why? He understood the principle. If he would just get a clear vision of what he was supposed to do that day, he could be faithful that day. See, the Lord has not asked you to do more in a day than you're capable of doing. Amen? Now, I don't want to step on too many toes with our busy terminology, but I try not to personally use it because it almost comes across as, I have more to do today, Lord, than I can do. This yoke you put upon me, I cannot bear. That's how it comes across to me. But we should be full in our schedules, amen? Full of being led by the Holy Spirit. Full by being whatever he calls me to do. Whatever it is that day that we're faithful to complete it. You will never be able to be faithful with a 24 hours if you're not led by the Holy Spirit. If you don't have relationship with him, you'll just go about doing whatever you think makes sense in your mind. And at the end of the day, you'll say, man, I'm so dry, I'm so empty. But I was busy all day long. We have got to have spiritual eyes to be able to see the things that we ought to do and the things that we ought not to do. It's the same with your finances. If you fail to trust God with your life and your finances, if you failed even to give him such a small portion of 10%, then I tell you what, he will get your attention. Amen? Those money bags that you make, holes we popped in the bottom of the thing. Huh? And all of a sudden, you know, who knows what will happen. You'll end up, in the, I talked to this principal about a person in our church the other day. And she said, you know, I think that's true because 
You know, as soon as I stop being faithful in my tithe, all these funny things start coming along that rob my money. You know, I got sick and I was in the ER and I didn't have any insurance and I had to spend 500 bucks. And, and she had like three or four examples of the things that happened to her when she went for a few months and not being faithful and trusting in her own understanding and her own means. All of a sudden, things started happening that started draining her funds. She was trying to keep her funds by keeping the full 100%. The Lord said, no, no, trust in me. Trust in me. If you don't got enough time, if you don't got enough resource financially, Make sure you're giving him the first fruits of your time and the first fruits of your resource. I think it's even almost borderline disobedience if you give him the last 10% of your income. Amen? There's not a whole lot of faith when you spend the 90 and you have, okay, I have this extra 10%. Here you go, Lord. There's no faith principle there. Faith principle is giving the first 10% and saying, by faith, I know you're going to bless me. You're going to give me wisdom and how to use my finances so I don't blow it on stupid things. And it's going to go farther because I'm going to be more filled with the character of God and not buy things I ought not to. Amen. Amen. I'll say it for you. We have got to be filled with the Spirit of God. You do not know how to manage your time. And you don't know how to manage your finances. But the Lord Jesus Christ does. And if you'll just submit your life to Christ, be filled with his Holy Spirit, you'll have the resource of time, financial resource, and the Spirit of God flowing through you. Those are the three things we've got to have if we're going to touch this community. Amen. That was my introduction. Okay, Luke chapter 10. That was a recap of some of the principles from last week. Last week, we went over Luke chapter 10. We started on verse 25. We ended Luke 10, 37 with the ending of the parable of the Good Samaritan. We're going to transition into Luke 10, 38 through 42. Let's find us at the house of Martha. Oh, I know some people are saying just go quickly through this part. <laughs> Martha ministry. This sermon is called the Martha mentality. The Martha mentality, and it's really a continuation of many of the principles we talked about last week. Starting in verse 38. Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. That was the King James Version. I'm going to also read it out of the Amplified Version. It says, Now while they're on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? 
Tell her then to help me, to lend a hand and do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled about many things. There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to her advantage, which shall not be taken away from her. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We give permission, Lord, for your word to speak to us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to rebuke us, to guide us, to lead us. Father, let your word do its work today in our lives. Each person here represents a person who has different needs, Lord. But this one word can touch every single person in this place, Lord. And so, Father, we just trust that your word will work. Let us receive that engrafted word. Let us eat and devour the word as we respond to you today. Bless this word in Jesus' name. Amen. So Martha was the older sister of Mary and Lazarus. We can presume that based on a couple of facts. One is called her house, plus she's always listed first when it's in the context of her brothers and sisters. So she was probably the older sister of Mary and Lazarus. She was probably the leader of the home. You know, the, our homes today, for the most part, aren't in too much in what I would call kingdom order. I mean, many times as the adolescents grow up, they're not helping very much. Have you noticed that? I notice that. I see that all the time when parents come in and they bring their children to the clinic. I almost just want to say, could you please excuse your children so we could actually have a meaningful conversation? The, the children are so chaotic. They're so all over the place. They're so unhelpful, you know? And that's not the way I think it's supposed to be. I believe that in God's government, in the home, that under mom and dad, the oldest sibling should really be a helper. Amen? And when I see that happening in your lives, it very much encourages me. That tells me there's something going on positively from mom and dad, discipling as the children grow older to take their responsibility in the home. You can never have a responsible child if you don't give him responsibilities. We have got to give responsibilities in our homes. Tamara and myself, we give responsibilities to our children. And the oldest one has just turned four. And the middle one is about two and a half. They have responsibilities. Every day, my wife makes my children make their bed. Amen. Some of your parents are saying, I can't get my 14-year-old to make their bed. If you'll just teach them by giving them responsibilities. Now, friends, you're going to have to enforce it, perhaps. You may have to get on their case just a little bit, but that's part of discipling and training. Amen? Your children aren't going to be like, thank you, mom and dad, for giving me these responsibilities. I can see how they're growing the character of God in me. That's not the expectation you should have. They're going to grumble. They're going to complain. They're going to murmur and you will be the Holy Spirit for them. Amen? You will encourage them. You will correct them and rebuke them and disciple them and train them on the way they should go. Train up the child. Not just teach like an orator. Train them. Train your child. Show your child. That's training. Amen? Not just oration. Train up your child. But I believe that in this biblical home, most likely in the first century, there was a lot of responsibility on the oldest sibling. 
And she was probably in charge and had a lot of authority over her younger brother and sister. She had a lot of responsibility. And when mom and dad died, and again, we can presume that, we don't know for sure, but we can presume since mom and dad are not in this story that possibly they've died, and now Martha has inherited that home. And she has younger brother and sister with her that she's been helping raise through all the years. And she's very task-oriented. She's a firstborn. She's a leader. We can't generalize about firstborns, but I tell you what, a lot of them are leaders. Amen? I've heard stories about my wife, the firstborn, and how it didn't take too many years before she would have the whole Sunday school class doing everything she wanted them to do. She was a natural leader. And I believe that also Martha was probably a natural leader and had a lot of authority in the home to help with mom and dad. So one, it says that she invited Jesus into the home. Now one thing that was of high esteem and a cultural norm and pressure was hospitality. If somebody came knocking at your door in that day, you never had an excuse. You never said, well, we've got other plans. Hospitality was a very high-valued thing in that time. That was a cultural norm that everyone who knocks on your door, they come in and you provide for them. It might not be so in today's world, but it was in that time. Hospitality was very important. Romans chapter 12, verses 12 through 13, Paul says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Hospitality is important. Can you say amen? Amen. It is important to be hospitable. It is important to open up your home for people. Our homes should be an evangelistic center. I don't know where we got into the mentality that you have to come to a church to be saved. Amen? That is certainly no biblical precept. It was in the homes, in the highways, in the byways. That's where the church grows. Your home should be a home of evangelism. And one thing you'll always notice when I pray at the end of a life group, whatever home we might be in, I almost pray this way every time. Let this home be a home of peace and let this place be a home of evangelism. Let it be a place where people can come and hear the words of Jesus Christ and receive the Word of God. Receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our homes should be homes of evangelism. Ask yourself, I was raised in a family that was never had that kind of gifting, never had that kind of norm. We hardly ever had people over to our house. And then I met my wife and their family, and they were very much different. And I tell you what, I flocked to it. I liked it. It's nice to be able to go into a home and feel at home when it's not your home. When you're entreated and you're loved, that communicates. Amen? Hallelujah. I want my home to be a home that's open. So when my children raise up, they will want to be at home with their friends. We provide such dysfunctional homes that as soon as they get to 13, 14, they're like, I don't want to be at home. It's boring at home. This, that is something is wrong. 
Our home should be exciting. Our home's like, I wonder who might show up today and we can bless them today. Praise the Lord. Open up your homes. If you're kind of got a closed door mentality that your home is your private abode, let it be broken. Hallelujah. Who is your rest? Jesus is your rest. Time doesn't give you rest. I know so many people that sleep 10, 12 hours. I need my 10 hours of rest. And they wake up and there's one at work. She sleeps about nine hours. And every time I ask her, I go, how are you doing? Man, I'm tired. It's the same thing. It's not about how much time you get resting. It's about if you're just living your life for Christ, you might get four one night, six the next night. Maybe once in a while he'll give you eight. Who cares? He's going to bless the sleep. Hallelujah. He knows what you need. Why do you worry? You don't need your eight hours. You don't need your ten. What you need is Jesus. Hallelujah. I need my caffeine. Oh, don't go there. I need it. If that word has come out of your mouth, I say it's probably true. You do need your caffeine. And may I say that's an addictive type of statement. The Bible says, I won't go too far with this, Pastor. The Bible says, let nothing be your master. Oh, hallelujah. How did I get the caffeine there? (laughs) Homes open, homes open, people coming in, evangelism in your home. Open up your home, be hospitable. It's good to be hospitable. Praise the Lord. It's good. It's good. Pastor, I want to thank you that when I first met you, you were hospitable. His home was never closed. I never got this idea that it was closed territory or it was always an open place. It was a place where they always enjoyed people coming over. And that transformed me because I, up until that point of 25 years of my life, I didn't have that. I had this, this kind of closed, no one ever comes over. Da, da, da. I mean, it's just boring, you know? It's exciting when people come over and, and you know, maybe God brought them over. It's good. It's good. Be hospitable. That was certainly an expectation in the first century. So verse 39, we talked about Martha. We talked about her hospitality. Verse 39 says that she had a sister named Mary. And Mary seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. So sitting at the Lord's feet, what does that speak to you? Just in your mind, think of the Lord inside of her house. And Mary is at his feet. What does that envision to you? Look at this, think about it. She's at the Lord's feet. Well, most of the time, if you want to get at somebody's feet, you better be pretty low, amen? Hallelujah. You better be in a position of lowness, of, of coming down, sitting before his feet. To me, it talks about submission. To me, it talks about discipleship. It's a physical gesture, right, at your feet, physical, that shows the inward, right? Right? If we come down to a place where we're at someone's feet, we are communicating something. Mary was communicating that she was in submission to the teachings of Jesus Christ. Right? Because he, she came at his feet to listen to his teaching. What she was saying is, your teaching, may it come up from high and may it come down to me. 
I am going to absorb everything. When your cup, Lord, starts spilling over, I'm right at your feet, and I'm going to catch it all. Amen. I'm going to eat everything that you deliver right here in my house. Amen? Amen. She wasn't going to miss this opportunity. She wanted to catch everything that was served that day. Whatever the Lord had on the menu for that day, she was all about being in a position to catch it. Amen? Do you put yourself in a position to catch the Lord's meat for that day? Do you put yourself in a position to hear his teaching, to hear his word, to hear his spirit? Do you put yourself in a position, a discipleship position, that he can speak into your life? We talked about discipleship a few weeks ago and what that looks like. It certainly looks like presenting yourself, like we said, to God every day and saying, Lord, here I am. The position to hear the words of God is also by recognizing who has spiritual authority in your life. You have the responsibility to know who in your life has spiritual authority. We're going to learn in this next class about listening to the chain command of God's authority. You see, God doesn't just work by the closet visitation and everything that you're ever going to learn and everything you're going to be, it's all going to be through you and God in a sovereign kind of relationship. If that was the truth, we wouldn't need the church. Why would we need it? Why would we need the five-fold gifts? Why would we need that whole living organism mentality? If you can just go and you can just tap right into God and get everything you ever needed, then we wouldn't need each other. But God has placed in every person's life people that have spiritual authority. Mom and dad, you have spiritual authority over your children. That's a stewardship relationship that God takes very seriously. When you come into a body, into a fellowship, a church, then I guarantee there is God-given delegated authority for your life. Amen? And if you feel like God is saying something to you, hallelujah, he probably is trying to say something to you. But a little wisdom mixed in says, I ought to take it to my delegated authority and see what they might have to say. Amen? Amen. That's good counsel. We ought to do that in our lives. If I feel like the Lord is stirring me, saying something to me, then I ought to check with my spiritual authority. Because if I communicate something the Spirit of God is saying, I trust that my spiritual authority has more maturity than I do. I want that. I covet that. I need that. Because if your goal is to do the purpose of God, why wouldn't you want to seek it? Why wouldn't you want to run it by it? Why wouldn't you? If your goal, if your goal is to please Jesus Christ, then you'll always want to go to spiritual authority. Don't you want your children, mom and dad, to come to you if they got some inkling of a new idea? Don't you want them to come to their spiritual authority and run it by you? Ask for your wisdom, your years of experience, your relationship with the Lord that you can take what they have presented and filter it through your understanding and be able to help them? Don't you want that in your lives, mom and dad, for your children? It's the same in the body of Christ. God has put people over us and he has put people under us with spiritual authority and we ought to cooperate with how God wants to work. Amen? Who's taking that class starting Monday? Look around, guys. Look at that. Praise the Lord. Training for reigning. Says in that book, and I know we'll hear about this a few more times, that if you want to try to pull out the God card 
and say, I, the Lord told me, and that's all I needed. I didn't need anything else. Just me and God. God is my covering. God Himself. You know what the Word of God says? You know what Dr. Cottle says? He says, no, that's rebellion talking. That's rebellion talking. That's why I don't want anyone giving any input into this situation. It's between me and God. No, God told me. Yeah? When we find ourselves not going to spiritual authority, usually that's an indication in our lives that there's something wrong. We're afraid they might give something that might be a little different than what God told you. Right? It's not just you and God. It's the body of Christ. And he has positioned people in the body of Christ to help you, to guide you, to lead you. They're after your soul. They want to protect your soul. They want to protect your mind and your emotions. Praise the Lord. And I tell you what, if you're in rejection with the spiritual authority over you, the Word of God and the principles of God say that you're going to have everything below you is going to be chaotic. Because if you're not willing to submit above you, why would anyone below you want to submit to you? You're a breeder of rebellion and dissension and fractions. Everything below you is going to be full of rebellion, dissension, and factions. The Bible says that you produce a seed after its own kind. And if you're filled with that kind, that kind will be underneath you. Amen? But as we submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, submit to those who God has put in our lives, then I tell you what, the authority of God will flow through us and touch people below us. Mom and Dad, are you listening? Mom and Dad? If you will submit yourselves to godly authority, submit yourself to people around you that God has placed, that'll be one of the best things you could ever do to help your children. Amen? Amen means let it be for me. That doesn't just mean, yes, Pastor Ty, that's true. I don't want just that. A crowd member can say, oh, what authority Jesus speaks. But when you say amen, that means, yes, it's true, and let it be true in my life. That's a lot different, isn't it? Let it be so. Praise the Lord. So Mary sat at the Lord's feet in submission and discipleship. Let's look at Luke chapter 8 and verse 34. This is a story about the demonized man in the region of the Decapolis. That's south and east of the Sea of Tiberias. And in that region, there was a demon-possessed man, and everybody knew about this man. This man was out of control. But one day, he had an engagement with Jesus Christ. And you remember the whole discourse? The whole discourse is this back-and-forth thing of the demons basically saying, don't harass me, don't torment me. Oh, they knew that the, the power of God was in Jesus Christ. And finally, the agreement was made that they'd be cast from this man and thrown into a herd of swine. Is a herd the right term, Pastor Tom? Herd? Absolutely. Herd of swine it is. A herd of swine. Of course, the swine jumped into the lake and basically drowned themselves. Amen? Pick it up in verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. You see what happens when the power of God is manifest? People start to report it all through the town and all through the countryside. When the power of God starts working in this place, people are going to be talking about it all over town and all over the country place. That the power of God will just be released. Signs and wonders, healings, the demons being cast out. 
If we'll just have it, if we'll just receive that, it's going to be talked about all over town. The people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. I like that part. And they were afraid. When you see the reality of God, all your deceptions that you placed around you that say, I'm okay, you're okay, always lead to heaven, all your philosophies that the Bible says will end in death apart from Jesus Christ. When you see the power of God right before you, the demon-possessed man that everybody knew about in his right mind, dressed and clothed and sitting at the master's feet. All that deception starts to come and you find out you're naked, poor, and exposed. Hallelujah. And I tell you what, either you run or you yourself go and sit at the master's feet. You repent or you run from the presence of God. And that's what we want in this place. Amen? We want such the power of God flowing. The word of God cutting to the heart. Signs and wonders. Devils, demons being cast out. That people either repent or they run. Amen? We want the glory of God to be exhibited in our lives. In the same way, Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet ready to take everything that Christ had to offer that day. Remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. That is a picture of discipleship, of a disciple coming to Jesus and presenting themselves to Jesus Christ in a discipleship love of their master. You see, a disciple always comes after the master. Amen? If you have a person that you always have to go after, you always have to encourage them to do the right thing, if you want to impart something into their lives, you always got to go after them. That person is not a very good disciple. It's a potential disciple. But you're still having to go after them. They're not thirsting after the things of God. They're not thirsting after the word of God. They're not wanting to come and impart and have their cup filled. You have to chase them down all the time. That's a person who's not a disciple. Probably a crowd member. And we are to keep going after them, right? Keep going after them. You don't go after them like a disciple. You go after them like you want to win them towards the ways of God. And if you're in this place today and someone always has to come after you to impart into you, would you consider your relationship before God today? Do you hunger after the things of God? If you're born again of the Spirit, all of a sudden now the Spirit of God within you desires and starts thirsting after the ways of God. I know Pastor Mike can say amen to that. His own testimony when he came to Christ, he was thirsty. He had looked all around and looked everywhere he could to try to find living water and he could not find it. He was parched, he was dry, he was naked, he was poor, and now he just had his encounter with Jesus Christ. Now he's in his right mind, or at least on the path of being in his right mind, in his testimony of being set free. But he hungered and he thirsted after the ways of God. He loved the Word of God. 
He read the Word of God. He let the Word of God read him. That is a person who looks like a disciple. Not the one you have to chase down the street with the Word of God. Submit, come, come, let me tell you. That's not a disciple. Let's go to verse 40. We finished two verses. Hallelujah. Verse number 40. This is where it starts getting real good. Let me get to the right text. Verse 40. So I want to say this and preface the verse 40. We have this introduction to Mary and these characteristics and this picture that's painted for you of this Mary sitting at the master's feet, just ready to devour the word of God. She is hungry for the teaching. Hallelujah. She is hungry for the teaching. Oh, is that a good plug for our Bible college? Are you hungry for the teaching? Are you hungry to hear the word of God? Are you hungry to hear how God has used people in the body of Christ to teach you? Are you hungry? Are you submitting to a place where you're coming, you are on your own volition coming to hear the words? Not under compulsion. Not because some pastor had to get after you. But are you on your own volition putting yourself in a position to hear the engrafted words? Praise the Lord. Pastor Tom, I just saved you some counsel right there. Amen. Put ourselves in a position to hear the engrafted words. That's the picture painted in the life of Mary. And it starts out in verse 40, right after talking about that, it says, but Martha. Whenever you have a but anything, you have this huge comparison. We have Mary and discipleship and submission and hungering and thirsting and wanting intimacy, but Martha. Amen? I do not want the Lord to look at your situation and say, but you. I want you to be a Mary. We're not talking about Mary. We're talking about Martha today, but be a Mary. Be a disciple. Be submissive. Get on your knees to the Master's feet and just look up and say, Lord, just pour it in my mouth. Amen? But Martha, overly occupied and too busy. Glad the Amplified used that word. Too busy was distracted with much serving. Isn't that interesting? Doesn't that sound like it doesn't make sense? She was distracted, a negative thing, in serving. A good thing. Do you know it's possible to have too much of a good thing? Do you know it's possible not to put the main thing, the main thing? And you start putting the little things of life and they end up being your main thing. I talked about it with my wife. I can do all these little things and serve her. I can cut the grass. I can buy her flowers. I can make sure she has everything she needs for for finances and funds. But she is not going to be satisfied with that. She's going to say, take that and throw it away. I want your time. I want you. I want to know you. I want to talk to you. I want you to talk to me. That's what my wife desires. Now she also likes... The cut the grass, the flowers, the chocolates. She likes all those things too, but she will never take those in the place of intimacy. Okay? Husbands, are you listening? Husbands, are you listening? Don't justify everything by your works. Oh, but I provide for her. Oh, but I go and I work 40 hours, 50 hours a week. Oh, but this, that. No, no, no. None of that is intimacy. She wants your intimacy. And I speak as a person that is just on the very fringe of actually starting to understand this. 
It only took me six years to actually step up to the plate and consider myself to be doing something here. For six years, I've been in the dugout, and slowly I've gotten into the batter's box of intimacy, (laughs) sharing my feelings with my wife. I tell you what, that is not natural for the man, isn't it? But I tell you what, it's natural for the Spirit of God. And we've got to let the Spirit of God transform that to be in a person who can engage in intimacy. Because if you can't have intimacy with your wife, how are you having intimacy with Jesus? How? Intimacy is intimacy. It's relationship. It's going back and forth. It's communicating. If you can't do it with your wife, how can you do it with Jesus? Do you start to see some of the reasons that man and wife come together? You start to see your own inadequacies. And it challenges your flesh. It challenges the me, 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 my way, my mentality. And it says, no, put someone else first. Let your life be crucified. And I believe that the closer we are with our wife in true intimacy is a reflection on our intimacy up this way. We've got to have intimacy with Jesus, with our spouse, with our children. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. That word distracted is parasafu. And my lexicon says there's two words. Para means around or above. And the second part of the word means to draw, like to draw up a sword. And it's almost like overdrawn. I know a lot of you are thinking about your bank accounts right now. But overdrawn, you're over pulled out. To be driven about mentally, to be distracted to be over-occupied about a thing. This word is talking about being overdrawn, over-pulled out, not putting the main thing the main thing. I am not against Christian works and service and hospitality. Those are good things. But they can never take the place of relationship. Amen? They always come subsequent to relationship. Everything we do is an extension out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Then it is true service. If you just do the things without the relationship, I don't even call them service because who are you serving? It's called religion. External deeds without an inward relationship. If you want to be true service, true service comes out of relationship, out of interacting with Jesus Christ. That is how we know our God, and that is how we know what we ought to do. So the cultural expectations, the pressures of life, have put Martha in a place where her herself is in a place of doing, but not of being. And that is a huge plague, a disease in the body of Christ today. We're about doing things, but we're not about being anything. I want this body to be first and foremost in Jesus Christ, in Christ, the being part, and get your commission out of that. Hallelujah. So it's gone. She came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me, to lend a hand and do her part along with me. See, her question to Jesus shows much about her heart. See, she didn't come to Mary and say, Mary, Mary, could you come and help me here? i got a few things I'd like you to help me do. She didn't go to Mary to ask for help. 
right in the middle of everything, she goes to Jesus and basically exposes what she considers wrongdoing in her sister and really rebukes Jesus, doesn't he? Jesus, can't you see what's going on here? Mary's being slothful and lazy and I'm doing all the work. How could you let this thing continue? It was a rebuke to Jesus. And it was a command to Jesus, tell her to help me. See, Mary found that her self-worth and her security came out of doing. Let this speak to you. This is something that all of us, I believe, innate within us, have a propensity to do. We try to justify ourselves by the things that we do. Right? When you meet someone for the first time, what are some of the first couple of things you ask a person? Yeah, so what do you do? See, everything about identity and about who we are and our security and our pecking order and everything else in this culture of ours says, what do you do? What do you do? I will sense your worth by that response. As soon as you tell me what you do, then I know exactly where to put you. I know what you're worth. Isn't that what we do, though? So what is it you do? Oh, garbage collector. Uh Okay. What is it you do? I'm a doctor. All these responses, we start to know how to place people. Amen? We can just put them right here and put them over here. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. In our Christian language, you go up to a pastor, say, Pastor, how big's your church? What kind of a, these are the kind of questions they start to ask. Because we want to see the external. We want to see the things that we do. That's what the things that we value. But not so with Jesus. Amen? The doing is important. It is an extension of our faith. I am in no way decreasing our doing, but it's got to be breathed out of being in Christ Jesus. It's got to be. If it's not, if it's the other way around, in God's ears, it's like, boom, symbols clashing. He's just like, oh, it's ugly. Man might praise you. Oh, what a good work that brother's doing. And God says, man, that sounds ugly. I didn't ask him to do any of that stuff. And instead of doing all that stuff, I wish he would just come and sit at my feet for a little while so I could get to know him a little bit, so I could start sharing and showing him some areas in his life, and I could start engaging within him, have intimacy with him. That's the heart of God. And if you engage with Christ and you can get your commission for that day, we have got to submit ourselves daily so we can hear the voice of God. This hospitality, this servant's mentality of Martha was a natural gifting, but it had not been submitted to the Holy Spirit. Many of us come to the body of Christ and God has given us natural abilities. Perhaps in our home, it's been demonstrated to us over and over again. Maybe you were raised with mom and dad that were just totally hospitable and this was something that's just so part of you because it's been modeled for year after year. Maybe it's just generosity and financial giving. It's just been modeled. So it's just part of you because you've just seen it and seen it. But you know what? When you come to Christ, that's got to be submitted to the Holy Spirit. Or it continues to be natural. If you want that natural gifting and the things that you learn, if you want it to be supernatural, then you've got to submit it to the supernatural God. But the problem is, I believe, is much of us take our natural abilities and they just keep flowing right along and we just do whatever we seem logical but we never submit our giftings and our lives on a daily basis to Jesus Christ. See, Martha had gifting. She had good intentions. She had things that she was gifted in, but they hadn't been submitted to the Holy Spirit. 
It had not found a supernatural direction. See, she believed that her priorities and what she thought was right should be other people's priorities too. How often are we guilty of that? But praise God, if, man, that person should be as committed to this project as I am. Amen? We do this all the time. I hear it all the time. And I hear it all the time right in these four walls. How about how we think our priorities and things that we value? That should be the exactly that everyone else should value it the exact same way. Then we do that. Our dedication, our investment, our input, that everyone should respond exactly with what I put into it and how I see the situation. This is where a lot of the grumblings and the complainings come out of. So we try to force our priorities onto somebody else. Basically, we say, in essence, my security is in these kind of deeds. I find self-worth and my security in doing these things. It's, in a, it's really my, my golden calf. And I'm going to dance around my golden calf because I'm secure with dancing around these deeds and these doings. It makes me feel good and justified. And by golly, you ought to dance around my golden calf too. And if you try to tell me my golden calf is not right, whoa, you're getting your stepping on my toes. And I might rebuke you. Amen? Come dance around my golden calf of security. That's how we do it. We find our little niche, the things that we're secure in. This is my ministry. This is what I've done. And you ought to dance around it here a little bit with me. But we have got to surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ. We have got to get beyond that mentality of finding security in the things that we do and find security in the God who has saved us. That's where our security is at. In Christ alone. Then no matter what you do out of that outlet of your relationship with Christ, you can do it in total service because you're not worried about yourself. Yourself is not wrapped up into it. Your own ego and how people see and perceive you is not wrapped up in your Christian service. I have to ask God to help me that all the time. When you come onto a platform and you speak to people, you somehow get this expectation that you should respond and hallelujah, praise the God, oh, and all this responsive acclamation of the word of God. But you know what? How you respond to the word of that day is not my deal. It's your deal. Whether you sit there like a bump on a log or you get right into the word of God and interact and let him speak to you, that's up to you. I only can come and deliver the word that God has given me. And I can't get bent up on how I think you're going to receive it. There's been many a man of God and a woman of God who have preached a word and they've been chased out of town. That didn't make that word null and void. It was probably a pretty good word. We got to overcome trying to find security in people and acceptance and security from people. Let's our security in Jesus Christ alone. Then you're empowered to serve. You take yourself, the self, out of the service and it's truly a manifestation of the Spirit of God. It's not 20% love and 80% tie if I'm wrapped up in the service. The Bible says that even our good works apart from Christ are but filthy rags. They're totally invested with us still involved with it. But if you'll surrender yourself to Christ in a meaningful way every day, yourself comes out of it, and every expression that you give is the Holy Ghost. And anointing and power can come down. Hallelujah. Verse 41. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you are troubled 
about many things. You are anxious and you are troubled about many things. That word there, anxious. Another translation says worried. The lexicon talks about that it's a a care for, a looking out for a thing in such a way that you're promoting one's own self-interest in your caring or providing. The same thing I've been talking about. Her anxiousness, her worry, was because in her expression of service, there was a whole lot of her involved. There was too much Martha involved with the extension. She wasn't just extending Jesus Christ. She wasn't just extending true, spirit-filled service. She was wrapped up in that service. And so when people didn't dance around that thing, when she saw her sister not getting involved with her security and the things that she thought was right, she was so challenged and pricked in her pride in her heart that she was willing to come out, bypass Mary, go right to Jesus and say, Jesus, can't you see what's going on here? Tell her to help me. That is the outward expression of what was in her heart. Self-security. Pride. Not enough of the Holy Ghost fire coming down and taking self out of service. We have got to get ourselves out of service. We've got to let it be truly an out thing of the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. This same word that's translated worry here or anxiousness is translated this way in Matthew chapter 6. And it's a scripture you're all very familiar with. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the fields grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry. Do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Hallelujah. That same encouragement that Jesus would give to Martha, you are filled with worries and anxieties. It's the same word that Jesus gave on the Sermon on the Mount. What he says in essence is, if you'll just first and foremost invest into a relationship with me, first seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness. If you'll just seek me, Jesus says, then you don't have to worry because all those things will be provided for you. Are you worried about your Christian service and what you ought to do, what you ought not to do? If you feel yourself getting wrapped up in Christian service and you say, but I'm died, I'm dead, I'm parts, I'm just inside a wreck, then you need to pull back to a mentality of saying, first, seek the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness. Jesus says, instead of your day just getting up and saying, I got so much to do today, I'm going to run out the door and do all these things. The Lord says, come and present yourself to me and I'll take you out and I'll put me in. And if you'll do that, you're in a position now like the good Samaritan that have the resources to touch your family, to touch your spouse, to touch your children, to touch this church and this community. We have got to get ourselves out of service in our security in doing things and get our security in Jesus Christ alone. Live your life for the audience of one. We are so anxious and so worried because our identity, our self-worth, we have invested into other people. Can I say you have good reason to worry? If your self-interest and yourself and how you perceive yourself is wrapped up in people around you, they're going to let you down. They're not going to treat you right. You've got to get yourself wholly invested into Christ, Christ alone. If the Lord is speaking to you today and saying, Pastor Ty, that is exactly right in my life. My self-esteem and my security, I have invested into people. Jesus says, will you give it to me today? Will you say, Lord, forgive me today for investing my life into people and wanting their acclaim and their affinity. Let me live for you alone. And as soon as you pull yourself away, you see, if you have, a, say, a son or a daughter that doesn't know Jesus Christ, if you are totally wrapped up in that service and in your relationship with them, you can't witness to them very effectively. Because what happens is you put all your self-worth in a person, you're going to speak to them in a certain way. You might not deliver them the unadulterated truth of God because you have security you've invested into them. And if they come back in a negative reaction to you, then that's going to hurt your self-esteem and you're not going to be able to tolerate it. Do you understand that whole principle? You can't invest yourself in a negative way into people and looking for them to provide your security because you're not empowered to serve them because you is in them and you're not going to hurt you. Sister Natalie read a quote. I can't remember the names of the person. Say again. Penelong. And one thing he said that struck me when she said it is that basically the flesh is not courageous enough. The flesh in us, our carnal nature, is not courageous enough to crucify itself. It will not kill itself. It will protect itself. And if you put yourself in other people, you are not going to go after the heart of that person because that person, you put yourself into them. Amen? We cannot help our children who are dysfunctional if you're finding security in that relationship. You have got to pull that back. Say, Lord, forgive me. I cut that negative soul tie in the name of Jesus. Lord, you're my security. And then you can serve that wayward child. Then you can serve that wayward spouse. You're only empowered to serve if you has been taken out of the equation. We have got to get to that point. We have got to do it. We're back in Luke chapter 10. The final verse. Verse 42. Jesus says, There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion. Amen? When I think of portion, Pastor Tom, I think of food. I'm looking for a good portion. I'm looking for a good portion. I'm not looking for a McDonald's portion. I'm not looking for that. I'm looking for a good portion. 
And Jesus looks at the heart of Mary and says, Mary chose the good portion. You settle for the McDonald's Christianity. You settle for the fast food. Jump out of bed, jump in the shower, and out the door. Fast food mentality. But to make good food takes time. Amen? Choose the good portion. The good portion starts first thing in the morning. Present yourself to God and say, God, here I am. I know my carnal man wants to do all these things, but I'll do them out of a soul-initiated service. Help me to be spiritually propelled in the service today. Help me to take all my securities in the things of this world, assets or people, to cut them off and let my security be in you and empower me for service today. Help me to choose the good thing. That Greek word for good or better also is pleasant and joyful and happy. Excellent, upright, and honorable. Let's choose the joyful path. If you're a soul initiated in all your works, your face is long and you're tired, and you're hurting, and you're dying inside. That's the person that when they see the brother in the, in the grocery store puts on the Pentecostal face, praise God. Doing good, brother. God bless you. And as soon as they walk by, you know, stumbling in their service. On the outside, they're a whitewashed sepulcher. On the inside, full of dead man's bones. But if you want the joyful path, the happy path, let Jesus flow out of you to your works. You will kill yourself if you just go about trying to do works in your own strength, in your own initiative, with your own natural resource. The thing that you grew up with that you are talented in, that natural ability, if you take it into the kingdom of God and you just continue with a natural mentality, it will kill you. Because there's no supernatural life-giving force behind it. Submit yourself, submit your talents to the Lord Jesus Christ today. And let him take that natural gift and take it supernatural. Hallelujah. Let's choose the better portion. Let's choose the good portion, the pleasant and the joyful portion. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's all I have for you today. I hope that was appetizer. That was the recap part. Amen? Then we got into the main dish, the main course. I pray that you ate it all. I pray that the word didn't just go into the frontal cortex, but that you mixed it with faith to allow it to come into your heart and to challenge you. Let God expose you. Where you fall short, we all fall short. I've told you every time I come up here, I tell you the same thing. I never speak to you where God's not speaking to me. This is what he's speaking to me about finding where I invest myself into people and I'm not empowered to serve them because I won't kill me. Hallelujah. Let's have those resources. Let's spend our time with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's present ourselves. If we've sinned in our stewardship with our time or our finances, Lord, forgive me and empower me to serve. Hallelujah. Your family needs it. This church needs it. And this community needs it. Amen. Father God, I pray that you bless that word. Let it exact its fruit in our lives, Lord. Let it not just rest and be taken away. 
by the worries of this world. But let us guard that fruit. Let us guard the seed by faith and obedience. That is the only thing that will guard the seed of the word today, faith and obedience. Don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. Submit our lives to you, Lord, and you will empower us for effective Christian ministry. So bless the word. And bless your servants, bless your children, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.